Good morning. We all awake? Come on now, get another cup of coffee. We, we can make it, right? <laughs> it is so good to be here. Uh, Pam and I have been away on vacation the last couple weeks, and, uh, or last couple Sundays, and uh, we certainly miss worshiping with you. And um, it's always a joy to be here to serve and be a part of this community. And uh, I, I think, you know, as we get into the message today and looking at Philippians, and as we've learned over the last few weeks, this, this process that, that God sends us through of sanctification and, and growing us and making us like Him is hard. It can be challenging. It can be difficult at times. Um, so <laughs> Philippians 4 is, it contains my life verse. And it's a uh, passage of Scripture that uh, I, I must admit I have not come to completely uh, apply and learn and make it fully real in my life as my wife smiles at me because there are the challenges of life that we all face. It's hard, it's difficult. And when I look at Paul's life and I see what he endured and what he went through for the gospel... You know, we're here, we're singing, we, we sing praises to God for His love, His mercy, and what He's done for us. 10,000 reasons. Why? Because He loves us. He died for us. And if nothing else in life that we get, the fact that He died and purchased our freedom with His grace is everything. And now as He shapes us and molds us to be more like Christ, it's a process. We've, we've learned that over the last few weeks. And I Got to listen to Adam's first time speaking last week, and it was great to hear him in the car. It's a great thing about the internet, and uh, you know, hear him talking about that as God walks with us. That's what sanctification is, growing us and, and, and working in us and shaping us. It is a process. It takes time, but it also takes a willing and yielded heart. So as we study in Philippians 4, the last chapter that we're going to get to for um, the Philippians study, uh, I pray your hearts are open, and I pray that you'll also kind of look at this. This is a letter to the church at Philippi, and Paul is writing to encourage. Paul is writing to, to challenge, to, to lift up. He's not addressing specific sins. He's not complaining. He's not murmuring. He's focused on lifting, lifting up this church and encouraging them in the gospel. And so I pray that Philippians does that for you. I pray that you've been encouraged by the messages and, and the reading of this scripture over the last few weeks. And I pray the same today. And not just today, but every day. Because we need it. My heart breaks this morning for those shootings that took place overnight. I don't know if you've heard about those. Another one in Texas and another one in Ohio. We come to this point where it seems like the world is falling apart sometimes. And it doesn't make sense. But in the midst of all of it, God cares. He loves. So we pray for these families, the ones that have been impacted by this, and as we continue to see this happen over and over again, it's a symbol of a broken world that we live in. And Paul's life was all about bringing hope through the gospel. Folks, that's what we're here for as believers, to bring that hope to people, to encourage, to lift up, we're to be a light. Paul says, you know, we, we can't hide our light under a bushel, right? We have to make it known. We have to let it be seen. If you've ever been in a dark place, ca cavern or, or in a dark room, and you don't have a light, it's scary. But you find someone who's got a lighter or a match or anything, and it's like, whew, I can see where I'm at. I can see the obstacles. That's what Christ is in our life. He brings light, brings hope. We've got that, folks. As believers, we have that. We can't just hold it for ourselves. Paul's life was about the gospel. He was completely 100% sold out. And as you study this and look at it, it's humbling because there's a lot of personal things that I'm working through in my life in the last 20 years, specific things in my life first, and in no way does my situation compare at all to what Paul has gone through for the gospel. So pray with me this morning, and you can open up to Philippians 4. Father, we just thank you for this time this morning. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. Lord, when life and the world seems completely upside down, God, we know we have to keep our focus on you. We have to look to you. We have to trust you. God, this was never your design for a world to suffer and deal with some of the horrible things that we see. And the things that we're experiencing, God, some of it is not new. But Lord, you have brought hope into a mixed up place by coming to this earth and dying, purchasing our freedom, giving hope, giving life, giving a future that is secure in you. And God, one day we know, we trust that you'll make all things right. We pray for these families that have been impacted by these latest shootings, God. The horror of such a situation. God, I just pray that you'll be real to those families, to the shooters' families. God, that you would just be present. I pray for the churches that are in the midst of these tragedies, that Christians will rise up, not isolate or insulate themselves, but be part of the solution to minister to needs, to love people, to have compassion. Lord, ultimately, may your gospel message go forward. It's why we're here. We love you so much. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen. Philippians 4. So as you see this, you're going to, as you read and as you have read, the, the love that Paul has for this church is very, 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 very real. He wants them to, to persevere. And in spite of the oppression that, that is in their midst, he wants to encourage them to help them stay focused, to not lose sight, to not lose what their purpose is. Keep on advancing the gospel, he talked about in one twelve, Because what he talks about, he says, what has happened to me? He's in jail, remember? What's happened to me really was to advance the gospel. Does that make sense? And as we read through this and we see his joy, we see his contentment, we see his focus, that whatever his circumstances were, he was content. Because that's where God had placed him to be used for his glory, for his purpose, for the gospel message. So can we look at difficult circumstances the same way as Paul? You look back and as you um, study Philippians and you realize the church of Philippi and it's, it's beginning, you, you can look at Acts 16 and you can see how it started. Uh, Paul and, and Silas, uh, Paul's second missionary journey and a vision is what sent him to Macedonia, not to Asia, as he had planned. God had other plans. And so he went there faithfully, obediently, and he comes and meets a woman by the name of Lydia and a, a group of ladies who are meeting by the river. Only a handful of Jews in that city at the time. No synagogue where that would be a common place for, for them to go and, and preach the good news. So he meets these ladies there, and, and Lydia opens her heart to the gospel. She's baptized in her whole household as well. We also see in Acts 16, a young girl has a, a demon cast out of her, and as a result of that, Paul and Silas actually end up in prison. And what they're doing, if you haven't read it, praising God and singing hymns in jail. What happens? Earthquake, right? Building is shaken. The doors are opened. Their chains are loosened. We're free. We got out. The Lord opened everything up. We can escape. Uh-uh. In the midst of the earthquake, the jailer thinks they've escaped. And as a result, knowing that he's failed in his job, he's going to commit suicide. Paul and Silas in their cells yell, uh-uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're all still here. They could have escaped and they didn't. They stayed. As a result of that, a jailer got saved. After all that took place, they're run out of town. <laughs> and 
Yet the church from that point began. The first church plant on European soil, a beachhead for the gospel into new and expanding territory. Wow. God opened opportunities through situations that were not comfortable, that were not what we would choose, per se. Yet Paul was obedient to go where he was told to go. And as a result, people got saved. It's not much different than what we see on the mission fields today, right? There are places where we can go with the gospel, areas that are unreached, go in, share the gospel, and people get saved and churches get planted. That's why we're here. This is a church plant for this community, to come into this community, to minister to the needs of this community, to love this community, to love the people here, to see the gospel go forward, to see people get saved, and to making people obedient to the Great Commission, which is to make disciples, to be followers of Christ. There is nothing more important than that. Nothing more important than that. So this letter here is, is written, Paul's in prison in Rome. It's about 10 years after he's visited Philippi. And again, he's letting them know the joy. It's not come, it doesn't come from outward circumstances. His personal life experience supports that. In 121, for me to live is Christ and dying is gain. He speaks of joy and rejoicing over 18 times in this very short letter. And the references to Jesus are mentioned over 50 times. Again, no murmuring, no complaining, absolute focus on Christ and the joy that he has. Focus on unity, partnership. In five, he talks about being in this partnership in the gospel. And again, as Adam mentioned last week, the sanctification process that God walks alongside of us. It's about the gospel over comfort. I remember the last time I, I spoke, I mentioned that, that the Holy Spirit, the comforter, is not comfortable. And if we find ourselves getting too comfortable, we have to reevaluate what it is that God wants us to do and be. What are we doing with the gospel? Are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we hiding it? Is it just for me? Reap the benefits just for me. There's a world that is hurting and dying and going to hell. And we've been given an opportunity, not because we have to, but because we get to. Because we have truth. We have hope. And God just wants to use us to be obedient with the message. Paul was. Paul is an awesome example. I must admit, I do not want to be Paul. <laughs> I would not want to go through what he went through. But should we desire at least to say, God, whatever, for the sake of the gospel? Whatever it takes for a life to be saved, for someone to come into the kingdom, whatever it takes. Get into the latter part of chapter 3, just kind of leading up to chapter 4. Paul talks about pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That pressing on, that using the, the utmost energy, the most effort, straining toward the goal for the prize. And he says in verse 17, join in imitating me. Paul is willing to say, my life is an open book. Scrutinize it. Christ is our example. There's no more perfect example than Christ. Paul is saying, Live what I preach, live what I live. Live it out. And he's saying, I'm an open book. I'm open for that scrutiny. I'm not hiding anything. This is who I am, and this is what I believe, and I'm not ashamed of it. Verse 19 talks about those whose minds being set on earthly things are set for destruction. And then verse 20, reminding them our citizenship is, is not here. It's not on this earth. It's in heaven. Ultimately, that's where we are going. As believers, that's where we're headed. We're just traveling through. Everybody's got a passport and traveled to an international country. I haven't been there very often. I don't get to travel much. But if you've been to another country and you get in there, it's, it's like you know you're not, you're just, you're passing through. Here for a little while, visiting, enjoying the sights and the scenery. We're passing through this earth. But while we're here, we've got a mission, folks. 
We have a mission. We have a calling. We need to take advantage of that. But too often, we, we lose our focus, and we think that this is all there is, is right here, right now. And that's not the case. There's so much more, so much more. So that hope we have that's eternal, not just hope for here, but hope for what lies ahead for us. Heaven awaits. So with all that I say, let's get into Philippians 4, 1 to 13. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, again, that love that he shows for the the church, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudea and I entreat Sintuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, re- <laughs> reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we see here at the beginning, uh, I think there's a couple ways we can break this down. Let me first give you the big idea, and that is our relationship in Christ should produce unity with other believers, joy in our hearts, and contentment in life's circumstances. I think that's what we can pull from this, this chapter, this beginning section here. And unity is so important in the church. What's interesting is he, he mentions these two ladies here, Euodia and Sintuke, calls them out directly by name. Can you imagine? Obviously, word had gotten from Philippi to Rome where Paul was. There was an issue. We don't know what that is. We don't know exactly what the disagreement was. I don't think it was anything doctrinal. Otherwise, Paul probably would have taken a firm stance on it. What does he say? He says, agree. Agree in the Lord. So he's addressing this issue that is probably causing a division in the church, probably causing a faction where then people might even be taking up sides. And that is not productive to the gospel message. So he calls them out directly. These are ladies of leadership, prominence. Could have been even a couple of the ladies that were saved with with Lydia. We don't know. It's possible. We don't know that. Paul doesn't take sides, though. What does Paul do? Focus on unity. Focus on agreement in the Lord. What you guys are doing is wrong. (laughs) That's what he's saying. We know that they're, they're saved. Their names are in the book of life. Mentions Clement, that they've labored side by side. So that is something that could be a concern for, it certainly was a concern for this church and could be a concern for any church. And that's the importance of unity. If you're in Christ, can't be quarreling. Somebody's wrong. In this case, one of these ladies is wrong or they're both wrong. And it's not productive for the church's mission. How deep did it go? We don't know. 
and how many people were involved, but it was obviously serious enough that Paul said, got to come to an agreement in the Lord. You need to address it. Unity is important. You look at 127, Paul talks about standing firm, being in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul understood that peace and unity is vital to the health of this church and any church. Look also with me, just some other verses to kind of reinforce that a bit. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.10, and I'll read them kind of quickly, so if you don't uh, get there, it's okay. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you, you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13.11, Again, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And finally, one last one, 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Hmm. What do most quarrels start with? Hmm, pride. Humble mind. Sometimes those divisions and quarrels and, and factions can be a result of that. Want my way. It's what I want. It's what I desire. We have to be yielded to the Spirit. We have to be yielded to Christ. We have to be yielded to what God wants. And in the name of unity and in the purpose of a church... <laughs> to keep moving in the same direction. We don't want disunity to be a distraction to the testimony, to the gospel message. So as I mentioned earlier, peace and unity are vital to the health of any church. So we have to remain focused on Christ, and if we're all doing that collectively, as Paul's pointing out here, having that mind of Christ united and agreeing in Christ, then we're all moving in the same, same direction. Again, what's it about? What's the most important thing? gospel, right? So he calls them out. He mentions a, a com true companion, or some of your Bibles may say a, a yoke fellow. We don't know who that is exactly, uh, but the implication there is that someone or in a team like of, of horses or, or pulling in a team, someone who works well in a double harness, working side by side, pulling together in the same direction in one effort, and so Paul calls on this true companion to be one who would help them to reconcile, to help them overcome their disagreement. So this is the first part we see, unity, extremely important, extremely important in this church. Paul sees the need to mention that it's important for any church. We have to be keep moving in the same direction for the gospel. Again, look at Paul's life as, as one example of that. It was all about the gospel wasn't about his comfort. Next, I want to look at next verse, rejoicing. Rejoice, and again I say what? Rejoice. When do we rejoice? When? Always? Really? Is that possible? I fail. <laughs> I fail at that. I really do. I'm brutally honest with you. I like my comfort. I like my zone. I like being where I'm at. I don't like things to be you know, tossed around. 
Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice in all. It's hard to do. (laughs) Not in Christ. Because if it starts there, when we realize what we have been given, when we realize what God has done for us, the gift that he's given us, it didn't cost us anything. God came down on this earth, walked among us, taught, but went to the cross, died, and he rose again for us, for a world. He loves you that much. That should make us excited. It should give us reason to rejoice. But what happens too often? It's easy because we can become overcome in our circumstances. I'm guilty of that. Paul here is trying to say, keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes focused. Remember Paul? Remember Peter? When uh, he saw Jesus walking on the water? What's he say? Jesus, if it's you, have me come to you, right? What's he do? Dude steps out of the boat. No way in the world I'm going to do that. I can't swim. (laughs) And what happens? He walks on the water, doesn't he? Wow. Amazing feat. I'd be shocked. What happens? Storm comes up. Waves start to toss. And what does he do? He loses his focus, doesn't he? And what happens? Begins to sink. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Paul doesn't miss a beat with that. In all things, the gospel, Christ, his relationship with him is his focus, is his priority. Nothing else. But it is so hard, isn't it? Because life comes at us with everything sometimes. And it can be so hard. Paul is trying to encourage. I hope it encourages us. What did they have that needed to be rejoicing about? You know, was it false teaching? Was it the opposition? Things that Paul's talked about before? Was it Paul's imprisonment? Were they worried about Paul? Or Epaphroditus who brought the message and brought a gift to, to Paul? And he became ill and actually almost died. And Paul sent him back. Were they worried about him? We don't know. But he calls to rejoice in all things, always. When we feel like it and when we don't. When the circumstances are good and when they're not. When they're in my favor and when they aren't. Joy doesn't depend on circumstances and feelings. doesn't mean we're always happy. (laughs) Life is hard. We do have difficulties we have to endure. And it can be challenging. But we still have joy because of who we know, right? And that's what we have to focus on and not lose sight of. Because I guarantee you Satan wants to destroy and distract and do anything he can to remove that peace you have and make your life upside down so that you can't focus on Christ. So we have to stay focused. We should not be gloomy as Christians. We have to be real. Please, be real. There are times when we struggle, and we need to come alongside each other at those times when we do. We have to do that. We're called to do that. But our lives overall should not be one of hopelessness and gloom as believers because of who we know and what he's done and what he's continuing to do. He's doing amazing things. And even in tragedy, I know God works. Let's not lose sight of that. So Paul's circumstances, he had a gospel focus. As I mentioned earlier in in Verse 5 of chapter 1, he said, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So do we look at our own circumstances that way? When things are hard and we go through those troubling things, do we see them as opportunities? I know it's hard. It can be very difficult. 
Paul is asking, keep your minds focused on Christ. And that's what Paul's focus was, whether it's in prison, whatever he faced, how can we advance the mission? How can we advance the gospel? Deep satisfaction comes from unity in Christ, his love. What robs your joy? What robs the unity that can happen? Disunity. And there's another joy killer that can be. Paul goes on, do not be anxious in verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. That was me this week. Some challenging circumstances. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Worrying is, is taking the worst case scenario you can dream up in your mind and then just becoming completely distraught over it. I do that with situations. That's not what we're called to do. Don't be anxious. But in everything, what do we do? What should be our response? In everything, we take it to God, right? In prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer. It's not a pat answer. I'll pray for you. Take that seriously. Do. Do. Because there is power in prayer. That's what we're called to do. We take our prayer, we take our requests, we take those things that are burdening us and intercede for others. And we pray for people. We also pray for our own needs. And in, in my situation this week, laying awake at night and struggling with it, getting, finally getting up in the morning before the alarm even went off, I couldn't even get stand on my feet. I had to slide to my knees right beside the bed before I even went in and took a shower. Pray. Can't emphasize that enough. He's listening. He wants you to bring his request to him. As believers, that should be our first response. Too often, it's not. Make your requests known. He knows them already. He knows what we have need of. Voice it. Vocalize it. Pray it over. Plead, supplication, pleading. Have you ever had something that you pleaded so hard for and prayed over? Sometimes God doesn't answer the way we would hoped. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Doesn't mean that we can't trust him. 1 Peter 5, 7, we cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I'm thankful. You know, somebody to pray with, someone to pray for you. I'm thankful for, for men that periodically I can text as a group and say, hey, I got a situation. Can you pray? To know that there are people praying over that situation. I hope you have that. People that you can just call in an instance and say, I need you. Will you pray with me? Don't even have to get together. Just share the request. Bring it to God. We also talked about what? Thanksgiving. Listen, never take God's goodness and greatness for granted. Might be something you can consider, something to think about. Get a prayer journal. You don't have to do it, but it's something to do where you can kind of just go through and lay out those prayer requests and pray over them. And then you can look back over it and see how God works, how God answers. Do it for a year. Look at what he's done. Look at how he answers. Some prayer requests you have to pray for continuously. And that's where we get impatient. Because we want everything on our time frame, right? We want everything on my schedule. It's got to fit in my box. And sometimes there are things that are of urgent nature. We, we need God's 
direct, quick intervention and wisdom. But having something like that to kind of look back over will help us to remember to be thankful. We've done that before. And it's amazing to look back over and go, I forgot about that. Wow. God, you're so awesome. So often we get so caught up in one thing after another. We need this, we need this, we want this, we've got to have this done. Got to da, 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 da. And God answers, God's working, and we just forget to even acknowledge that He's working. It's important for us to have thanksgiving, be mindful of what He's done and what He's doing and continues to do. Don't be defeated, don't be incapacitated. There is power in the name of Jesus. Flip over to this one. I want you to read this one with me. Matthew 6, 25. If you have your Bibles with you. If not, failed to mention it earlier, we do have Bibles in the back. And if you need one, please, those are there for you. Take one with you. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Oh, there's that word again, anxious. Oh, boy. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or about your body or what you put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Just a side note, anybody ever heard of a catalpa tree? Yeah, I hadn't either. Williamsburg's got all these huge catalpa trees. The, the pods that they put down are obnoxious. But in the spring, we were actually down one year and saw Solomon bloom. And these little flowers, I picked one up, held it in my hand. And it's like somebody took, God, took a fine ink pen and drew on the inside of this, like a beautiful orchid. It's gorgeous. And I looked at these things and it was just amazing. And the little things like that, God oversees that. It talks about the lilies of the field. I, when I see that verse, I always think of the catalpa tree. And yet, what does he say there? You know, Solomon is not adorned like, like those. Are you not more value? Lost my place. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows, what you, knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. We get that verse kind of out of context sometimes. Because we think sometimes by seeking the kingdom of God that when you look back up earlier, it talks about treasures. It's talking about money. We think that because we seek him that certain things are going to fall into place. <laughs> keep, keep verses in context. It's so important. Remembering these things, remembering what, how important you are, how significant you are, that he will take care of you, that he will provide for you. Remembering those things. Seek him first then. He'll take care of your needs. Promise you that. He promises that. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't get yourself so caught up in worrying about the future. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. Doesn't mean we shouldn't seek direction and wisdom. But don't be so consumed that we lose our focus. Finally, you get down here then in verse 7 of Philippians 4. What's he say? The peace of God then, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Once we have the right focus, and we won't let anything rob us of that focus, we will have peace. I promise you that. 
His word promises us that. But we get our focus and our priorities skewed sometimes. And it's hard to find that peace because we're scrambling everywhere to try to find it. It's here, folks. Start here. Start here. Because as we continue on, it's things that we need to focus on. I'll get ahead of myself. <laughs> the peace that comes is not a peace with God. That's already happened in our lives as believers. When we've become saved, and as we've heard so many times, we're justified. We're made as if we have never sinned. That relationship is now right. We have peace with God. But as a result of trusting him and, and as we see this taking place is now we have a peace of God. His peace, John 14, 26, 27 talks about that. My peace he provides. It's not of this world. The world cannot offer us hope. We have to stop looking to the world for hope. The world doesn't have the answers or the solutions. And the world is throwing everything at us that is contradictory to the word contradictory to God. We cannot find hope in the world. It's a false promise. And so as a result, we use things of the world and pleasures and such to try to find a little bit of happiness, a little bit of gratification, a little bit of something to make me happy. But it's about joy, right? Inner depth of joy. And that comes through Christ. That's the hope we have. Don't live defeated. As believers, he's saying, don't live defeated lives. As believers, we should never be defeated. We might be wounded. We might be hurt. We might suffer some setbacks, but we are never defeated in Christ. Peace surpasses all understanding, all human reasoning, every situation. You ever had, have, had a situation where you've gone through a real struggle and those who don't share your faith, your beliefs, look at you like, are you crazy? Ever had that happen? Those opportunities where the gospel can shine. It's in those places where people can see something that's different about you. A light that's in you that they don't have, but they want. I think the gospel goes forward in so many different ways. We can proclaim it, we preach it, we teach it, we share it on the street corners. God uses his word in so many different ways. But he also uses it in the way that we live out what we believe, through our testimony, how we interact with people. So if we're living defeated, we're living hopeless, how can we expect a world, the person next door who doesn't know Christ, how can we expect them to have any hope? Because they're not seeing it in us. So we have to live victorious. Again, that's what Paul is striving for, trying to get them to understand, trying to encourage them to do. And I think it's an applicable message for the church today. I've seen it in my life. We talked, this whole series is about five years from now. And I look back over the course of my life, especially about 15, 20 years ago, some situations and struggles that I was going through. God was faithful. And that's what gets into my favorite verse here in a second about contentment. Trusting God. Letting Him work. Being faithful, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. Not in our own strength. Pouring out your heart. And I've done this in situations before, pouring it out in just tears. God, I need you. That's what he wants from us. That's what he asks of us. And God did work and God answered prayer in amazing ways. What do we fill our minds with? <laughs> with what should we fill our minds? What's he say here as we continue down? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are we filling our minds with? Is it on the gospel? Is it on truth? Is it on the word? I guarantee you Satan will use those things that are out there in the world 
to get us off our, off our mark. So what does he tell us to focus on? What's the first thing he says? What? What's true? Remember Pilate? Remember Pilate asking Jesus, what is truth? He's looking at truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Where does it start? What's true is Christ, His word, His promises. What is in His word, what He's written for us. Truth starts there. If we can focus on that as a starting point, I have so much change occur. But what happens is we're grabbing everything that's out there sometimes. And we're trying to get any bit of wisdom from anybody that we can find. It's, sometimes it can be very contradictory. Start here. Start with, start with Scripture. Focus on what's honorable, what's honest, those things that are dignified, that are worthy of reverence and, and awe. God. Focusing on God. What is just, what is actually, what is right, what's pure, what is stainless, what is morally clean, what's lovely, what's commendable, those things that are kind and gracious and highly regarded. That's not what the world's spitting out, folks. I get so frustrated. I like watching TV. Thought I'd check out a couple more television shows, those ones that are on Amazon Prime, never looked at them before. I thought, oh, a couple cool shows, they look really neat. Both shows, within minutes, had so, many, so much swearing in it. I'm like, I can't, I can't watch this. What are we filling our minds with? Think on these things. What is true, what is honorable, what is just. That's what needs to be going into our minds. All this other stuff that's out there that is distracting us and pulling us away from the gospel and pulling us away from his word and his promises and his truth, don't think that Satan's not using that. He is. Focus on those things that are right. Look at my example. I, I mentioned this before. Verse 9, he says um, he's willing to, to, to have his own life looked at. And what you've learned and what you've received and what you've heard and seen in me, practice these things. Again, Christ is the ultimate example of what we're striving for and what God is making us to be like through this growing and sanctification process. So focusing on these things, those distract, what are those distractions? What are those things that take away? Practice these things. Focus on Paul's life. That's what I was getting to. Thank you. I just had to stumble along there for a second. Practice these things. His life, he's saying, follow me. I try. I'm certainly striving. I'm growing. And when I look five years ago, again, as our, this Philippian study has been, five years from now, I know there's growth in my life in the last five years, but I know I have not arrived yet either. And as this week showed to me again, some of the promises that were so vibrant and alive in my life over the last 15 years, I failed in this week because I lacked trust and I got anxious and I worried. Whew. Paul says, look at my life, follow after me, practice these things. And then finally, and this is my life's verse, whatever situation, whatever he's faced, whatever it is, he's learned to be content. Are we content in God? If that's all we have, that's all Paul had. Paul sat in prison. Paul faced abuse. Let me just, just read to you a couple of the things. A little passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians. Of just what exactly Paul went through. 2 Corinthians 11. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness. I think he was surrounded by a lot of danger. 
danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all churches. <laughs> Even Paul had some anxiety, but concern for the church. And yet, looking down in chapter 12, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. I don't know if I could stand up to all that he went through. But Paul focused on Christ, and God brought him through so much. I almost kind of look at it as that, that Paul reached the summit of sanctification because he is a solid example, having gone through that process of trust. It's an example for us. Last thing I want to do is read 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. Again, looking at Paul as our example. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. This is his last imprisonment. This is shortly before his martyrdom. These are his final words. He's in a cold cell. He's in chains. This is it. There is no hope of deliverance this time. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and ex exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For already I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me also, but to all who have loved his appearing. We have that power through Christ to endure the situations and the struggle. Interesting thing, I found a, a statement in my Liberty Bible commentary when I was reading this passage in uh, Philippians. Where the finger of God points, the hand of God provides the way. God's put you on a path, and he has, as a believer, there is a path for you. His hand is going to guide you, I promise you that in the struggles and in the hurt and the pain and the difficulty, God will guide you. I promise you that. He did for Paul. It was not the ending that Paul was looking for, but it was the one that was planned for him, all for the gospel. See, as believers, if, if our faith is rooted in Christ, truly rooted in him, we are infused with that same strength that Paul had to endure and be all that God has called us to be. We're not weak. In Christ, we're strong. Here's the big question. Are you content in Christ? Think about it. Are we truly content in Christ? That if that's all we have, are we content? Are we satisfied? Is he everything? Is he sufficient? Is he all that I need? If I lose everything else, look at Job. You ever read the book of Job and see all that happened to him? What does his friends say? Just curse God and die. <laughs> Yet his faith remains strong. Are we content in Christ? Five years ago, now, five years from now, 
Are we, are we looking to grow and mature in Christ? Are we letting him do his work in us? Are we committed to keep growing, allowing his word as truth to shape and sanctify and mold us for his purposes? Is there anything else more important in this world than the gospel? Really? We can lay up all kinds of earthly treasures and earthly goals and earthly things that we're looking to attain and getting to that retirement age and sitting back. I've always made light of the fact of moving to the villages in Florida and driving those little golf carts around, kicking back and taking it easy, and then waiting for God to take us home. Are we going to be like Paul? Are we going to be on mission? Are we going to be on purpose with a sense of focus? I so admire and I... Pam's parents, and Pam grew up on the mission field, and Pam's parents served in Hong Kong. And so often, even today, I see Pam's dad, who is so faithfully serving God any way he can in, the eight, in his 80s. He's not content to stop reaching people. When our mind is focused on earthly things and earthly treasures and, and what's here, what I can get for myself and building up an empire just for me, we completely lose focus of the gospel. We can't do that, folks. The church has a higher calling. There's so much more that he wants for us. We have to be that light in the darkness. Finally, this letter is written to the church at Philippi. Believers, trying to encourage them, helping them to grow in their faith, keep them focused for the gospel, the importance of the gospel. For us here, I hope as a church, as believers, we're encouraged by this. And there may be someone here who has not accepted Christ. There may be someone who has not received that gift that God offers so freely. He's offering it to you. He's giving it to you. He paid the price. It's free to you. It cost him his life. But he paid it in its entirety for you. All you have to do is receive it. The gospel. There was nothing more important to him. What about us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it pierces deep inside of us. We need that, God. We can't just pick and choose and select. God, we have to have all of your word. We need it all. As part of our growing process, Lord, we, we want, desire, and yearn to be like you as humanly possible on this earth knowing one day we will be made complete and whole when we're with you. While we're here, God, every day we wake up, we have breath in our lungs. Help us to stay focused. Help us to be your ambassadors here. Help our light to shine. The hope that we have in us, God, that people can see it. Lord, give us boldness. Help us to be prepared and ready for those opportunities that come our way, to not run from them, but to be willing and open and ready to share truth with those who need it. God, we love you. Thank you for dying for us, your grace, your mercy. And to this day, I just don't understand sometimes how you could love us that much. Lord, I am so thankful. Thank you that one day we will be with you. Lord, for those who have not or may be struggling or trying to understand more, God, we just pray their hearts will be open. Work in their hearts, God. May they feel your love. May they feel the love of this church. Work as only you can, God. Speak to us in Christ's name. Amen.